Today's scripture is Colossians 3, verses 15 to 17. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of God. You know, uh, we just, last week we finished our first series. I've been, I feel especially thankful. Um, we finished the first series after the launch of our church, and I hope that Romans 1, verse 16 and 17, those words really ring in your heart and that they will bear fruit in your life and in our church. And um, so, you know, and it's like oh, we finished the first series and eight weeks in, and here we go. And, and so now let's have a Thanksgiving service. And uh, I've been thinking about this sermon for weeks, just that we'd have a simple, relatively simple sermon about gratitude. Um, uh, it's actually, it's, there's nothing really too complicated about the idea, um, but... Um, here in Silicon Valley, post-Christian, basically an atheist city. That's, we, that's basically where we live in. We live in a secular atheist city. And uh, gratitude is actually um, not that simple. It should be really, really simple. But we're bad at it. I think we're bad at it. And, um, and just being a grateful people filled with thanksgiving, um, I want to share with you something in God's word and, and in its power and, um, and how much, you know, how, how it's such an important key to live a rich and joyful life, okay? So let, let's get into it today. Um, part one, the wisdom of gratitude. The wisdom of being grateful, of giving thanks. So I guess call it, it's not it's more than a feeling, it's a disposition. It's an attitude. It's a kind of a heart stance, uh, we call it uh, being grateful, but the activity is giving thanks. It's thanksgiving, and um, and I'll just just want to say a little little two cents. I, I mean, um, I can I can have a little bit of a crotchety old man sensibility sometimes, and honestly, it's I I grew up in a in a time in America when America had a lot more God in it, and it's funny because I grew up in the Bay Area, which is like the most like secular, godless place in, in America. But um, we had this time of the year, and it was called Thanksgiving. And what was really strange was like, you meet almost any American. And they all took it for granted that Thanksgiving had something to do with God. This is really interesting. And that everybody owed some giving of thanks to somebody. Everybody owed it. You should be thankful. And everybody owed Thanksgiving to your mom, to your dad, to your teachers, to your coaches, to your pastors, uh, for your country, for um, our forefathers that gave us this country, and most of all, to God. And it was, it was, it was crazy. So here we are living in the so-called most liberal part of America, and almost everybody I knew, you go to school, and they talked about it that way. And so this is the, what America was like when I grew up. And so Thanksgiving 
was a, like this quasi-Christian. It was a spiritual holiday. And nobody, you know, nobody uh, thought otherwise. And then somewhere about 20 years ago, people started talking about Thanksgiving. Like they said, they even, some people even suggested we should call it Turkey Day. <laughs> we should call it Turkey Day. And I was like, that's stupid. Should we have a hamburger day? <laughs> let's, let's have a pizza day. I mean, I don't even like turkey that much, so let's have ice cream day. And I remember thinking like, oh, this is such a horrible idea. Right? And, um, but basically, that's kind of what we're, we're up to today. Thanksgiving is basically gluttony day. Get together with your family and eat way too much. But what about really what it's called? Thanksgiving. And it's a spiritual thing. It's a very spiritual thing. And because we live in a very anti-spiritual time, or let's call it spiritual, but the spirit is not God. <laughs> okay. So part one, the wisdom of gratitude. Part two. Part two is, um, that was my part two. Here we go. Part two. The covenantal life versus the ungrateful, lonely, secular life. The covenantal life versus the ungrateful, lonely, secular life. And really, I only have two parts, because I'm gonna, but the third part is gonna culminate in that part, and I'm gonna call it the steadfast, eternal love of Jesus, <laughs> who completes the covenant. Right. So um, let's get into it. This is a text I chose, but really it could have been it could have been so many different. Just let's so let's just let me just let's go through the text, and I just want to highlight no, no complicated theology here. So let's just let's go over the text one more time. Here's what it says: Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And then what it says: And be thankful. Okay. Verse sixteen: Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of Christ is what. The gospel, okay? The word of the cross, the word of Christ, it's the gospel. Let the gospel dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, which we just did, right? And then what? With thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Gosh, I wonder what this passage is interested in emphasizing, with thanksgiving in our hearts to God. Verse 17, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. How? Giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus. <laughs> so, in three verses. Um, so let me just give you a real simple little hint. You don't need a PhD. You don't need a master's from seminary. Nothing. You want to learn how to read the Bible well? Just pay attention to the things that get repeated. <laughs> God, it's like he knows we're dumb. <laughs> he knows we're so dumb, so you know what he does? He just repeats. He just repeats again the things that are really, really important. And so just pay attention to things that are repeated. Here we go, three verses. Be thankful. With thankfulness in your heart, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Okay. All right, so I'm going to be, so let me be, um, you know, you, you don't have to be smart, but let me just show you. This is all over the Bible. It's all over the Bible. Okay? So let's, let me give you some examples. Psalm 136. 
verse 1 through 3. Here it goes. Give thanks to the Lord. This is capital L-O-R-D. That's Yahweh. Give thanks to, that's his name. Give thanks to Yahweh for he is good. Why? For his steadfast love endures forever. Verse 2. Give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. You know, if you just keep reading, it just keeps going on. Give thanks because he separated the seas. His steadfast love endures forever. Because he, he destroyed really wicked kings because his steadfast love endures forever. Because he took us through the wilderness. His steadfast love endures forever. I wonder what's important. <laughs> Give thanks to him because his steadfast love endures forever. Okay. Oh, that's just one chapter. No, it's not. <laughs> Let's go to the next one. Psalm 118. <laughs> this is verse 1. Oh, give thanks to Yahweh for his good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Then it's just a bunch of stuff, da -da 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 -da, a lot of really great stuff. And then here's how the chapter ends. Verse 28, you are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord Yahweh for his good, for his steadfast love endures forever. I just picked just tick two. Um, it's crazy how, how easy this is. So it, actually, my studies for this, this week's, uh, it was really easy. You know, I, I just Googled Bible passages about giving thanks. You know, and then just a whole bunch of them came up, and I just went, oh, I'll choose this one, this one, and this one. All right, let me show you a few more. So different, diff, a totally different kind of book, First Thessalonians. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In all circumstances, give thanks. One of the brothers in our church, um, he asked certain, some of us brothers to pray for his brother-in-law because his brother-in-law was diagnosed with stage four cancer. He has two children, young children. Give thanks still. Can you give thanks? Um, that's what it says. Give thanks. Why? How can you give thanks in that? In all circumstances. I mean, give thanks. You know, give thanks. The warriors get a high draft pick. <laughs> give thanks. You're not living in a van. Give thanks because you got into the college of your choice. Give thanks because, you know, the girl that you really, really liked. My, my wife and I are watching a lot of these Korean dramas. You know, they're all about, <laughs> they're all about, uh, they always have meeting the person you really, really love. And then there's always this really sad sack person who is loving this person who doesn't love them back. Unrequited love. Right? So that's great if the person you love loves you back. What if they don't? But then give thanks. James, different book. This is actually the New Testament book on wisdom. Here's what it says. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Do you know what this just said? Okay, it didn't say give thanks. You know, every time you get a gift, you know what you're supposed to do? Say thank you. <laughs> What is God? He is a father of lights 
and he does not change. And he's always giving you gifts all the time, all the time. So shouldn't there be a response? Give thanks. Let's just do one more. Hebrews. So, I, I mean, I've hit, uh, <laughs> we've hit Colossians, 1 Thessalonians. It's all throughout the Psalms, James, and Hebrews. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. So in our life, you know, we're all trying to build this kingdom. I got to get this job, and then, then we're going to get that house over there in that neighborhood, and hopefully we'll get the mortgage, and then I will not get laid off in the next 10 years and my kids will really, really be healthy, and they're going to go off to great schools. And then, you know, this is a kingdom. These are our kingdoms that we're building, but they all can be shaken, and you know it. But through Jesus, you have a relationship with God, and you're part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Can you give thanks and be grateful for that? Um, I want to shift gears, so... I, I, I love this kind of stuff. Um, so I want to take you to secular social science now, okay? <laughs> so uh, I love it when all the godless people figure out what's in the Bible. <laughs> it's in the Bible left and right. But the godless people are just, just starting to kind of get a clue about this thing. So I don't know if you know this. Um, I, I, I actually really like uh, social science. I'm a big fan of science, all the kinds of science. I like natural science. I like social science. Um, and so um, you could do this. I did this this past week too. You could just Google social science, you know, just say, just call it social science on gratitude, something like that, right? And then like really like just crazy amounts of stuff will come up. Um, I just, you know, I just Googled this and then I found this. So there is a paper called The Science of Gratitude, <laughs> okay? And you know who wrote it? There's a group called the Greater Good Science Center, and you know where it's at? UC Berkeley, right up the street. And they wrote this paper. It's a 72-page paper. You don't have to read it. I, I, I didn't want to read all 72. I just read the first six pages. And it's a white paper, and for those of you guys who don't know what a white paper is, that's sort of like they put this stuff together and then they give this out for free because they want everybody to read it. So it's a white paper on the importance of gratitude, and they thought it was so important. No one person took, took a credit for this thing to try to build their career on it. They just stuck this out there for free. So look it up, okay? A Science of Gratitude... White Paper by Greater Good Science Center at UC Berkeley. I just want to give you a couple of just snippets, okay? This is from the Individual Benefits of Gratitude. Here we go. A handful of studies suggest that more grateful people are healthier. So this is just physical health. It actually produces physical health, right? And others suggest that scientifically designed practices to increase gratitude can also improve people's health and encourage them to adopt healthier habits. This is really interesting. So what, what they mean is like, so they actually have these, um, these uh, they have a, they, they give this example of a study. So they took certain people and they said, you will do this. You will have a journal, they call it like a gratitude journal. 
Everything that you were like really grateful, you write it down. So some people did a gratitude. These other people, they will just, just uh, think like happy thoughts or something like that. So they don't do that practice. So here these people actually have a practice. They put in a practice some form of thankfulness. You know what they found out? So then this, this is sort of, you guys get this. This is science. This is the control group. They're not doing it. These people are the, these are the, and then they follow them for a while and find out if there's any different results. The results are actually pretty significant. These people are actually healthier. It's crazy. Psychological well-being. In general, more grateful people are happier, more satisfied with their lives, less materialistic, and less likely to suffer from burnout. Additionally, some studies have found that gratitude practices like keeping a gratitude journal or writing a letter of gratitude can increase people's happiness and overall positive mood. Well, you're one of these people that write thank you cards or send thank you emails or millennials, yeah, you know, DMs. <laughs> Just think about it for a moment and, you know, send off a little DM. Do it. It'll like, it's like deeper psychological gratitude. So then they give you an example. One study found that more grateful cardiac patients, so these people have a heart problem, okay? They're, they're literally dying because their heart is going to give out, okay? More great, I don't know how they figure out which ones are the more grateful ones, but I think they, you know, look for certain behaviors, okay? More grateful cardiac patients reported, listen to this, better sleep, less fatigue, lower levels of cellular inflammation, <laughs> And another found that heart failure patients who kept a gratitude journal for eight weeks were more grateful and had reduced signs of inflammation afterwards. Several studies have found that more grateful people experience less depression and are more resilient following traumatic events. Like finding out that your husband has cancer. Look at that. If you're grateful. One more from this, uh, this, uh, this white paper. They said that there's a evidence that gratitude could be the mother of all virtues. It's actually a quote from Cicero, right? Not a biblical, not a Christian. You know, just an ancient wise man, Roman orator, guy named Cicero. And he called gratitude the mother of all virtues. According to this, these studies, so this is just, this is aggregating a bunch of studies. So these are the people who studied studies and they wrote this, then they wrote this thing. They said that the evidence is that, um, that it looks very good. Wait, let me get this right. That gratitude may live up to its reputation as the mother of all virtues by encouraging the development of other virtues. So if you have this one virtue of being grateful and being thankful, then you know what other things often also come? Patience, humility, and wisdom. So I hope you'll just some of the things you want in life. You can withstand traumatic events, that you have greater patience, you have deeper humility, and you have wisdom. By having this one thing, one thing, gratitude. Now let me practice it for a moment. I want to say a, um, I want to say a personal word. Um, you know, all week, all week long, I've been thinking, I, I just, I, this is how I felt. On, on, on Sunday night, this is how I felt. <laughs> All right, um, I gave you um, a big sermon on Sunday, and it was a culmination of eight weeks of meditating hard on a really important passage 
And, um, you know, our church did this. We, we, we launched, and for about three months, my life felt more intense than it's ever felt. Okay, it's ever felt. It's crazy. And some of you know that, um, you know, a number of you are regulars. About two weeks before launch, um, my father-in-law had, had, a, had, a, had a major stroke. And then that week he died. And our family, we flew back and forth. It was unbelievably stressful. <laughs> right. And um, so there's pain, emotional pain. There's physical pain because they're like <laughs> flying back and forth. And I'm worried about our finances because we actually can't afford this. And um, you guys are incredible. And many of you prayed for us. Uh, many of you gave us incredibly just practical love. I mean, you gave us money. <laughs> and so more than enough such, such that, you know, this worry, this fear I had that we're going to you know, drop into debt during this really stressful season... I mean, debt, like, we, we had more than enough. And um, you know what I was thinking? And as we go through this church and build this church um, all week long, I've been grateful for you. I'm so grateful for you. You know, um, you're a pastor, and you, you expend a lot of energy. I, 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 I'm not really good at this part. I, I, I don't know if I say this enough. I, I'm sure I don't say this enough. I really love you. I really love you. All of you. If you're a member of this church, um, whether you think you're a good Christian, you're not a good Christian. Especially the ones of you don't think you're a good Christian, I really love you. <laughs> I know it sounds really weird. <laughs> okay? Um, um, I really love you. And I'm not really good at showing it sometimes. And how does a pastor expend love for you know, a lot of different people and um, so I, I just tried to, I, I learned this, this tool, this tip from a pastor many years ago. He says, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. So I, I cherry pick at times key points and, and then I show a piece of love to one which I wish I could do for all of you. But anyway, um, I let out this big sigh of relief on Sunday night and all week long. I have basked in gratitude for you. I try to practice this. Right? Now I want to share with you something. And so I want to share with you a very personal word. So I'm going to, this is a quote from one of my most cherished books. I love books. Okay? But some books are more important than others. This one's one of them. Okay? This book, if I lost this book, I would get kind of frantic. This book is seriously marked up. This is really, really important. It's called... The Heart of a Servant Leader, written by C. John Miller. He's one of my spiritual heroes. And this book isn't scripture, but it's close. <laughs> okay, it's close. <laughs> I mean, it's close. Okay, there's like things in here I was like, dude, this is the apostle C. Jack Miller. <laughs> okay. And I want to give you a quote that um, will be helpful to you, but it really spoke to me. And especially as we're reading this thing. So here's what it says. One thing that can be hard for a pastor is just the enduring. After you are in the pastor for a decade or more, 
you begin to see many weaknesses and sins in yourself. That, that's totally true, okay? Many failures in the ministry. I've seen a lot of failures in ministry. And become increasingly aware of the resistance in God's people to change. That's really true. And that's not an accusation, okay? But it's true. As our insights grow, that's our insights into basically how much I stink, how much the church is weak, and how people become Christians, but they still sin and don't change too easily. As our insights grow, so do our temptations to increase in despair. Do you know how many pastors quit? All around the country, pastors are quitting. And um, so, um, and there's a, and I'm, I'm not trying to scare you, but every now and then, it doesn't happen too often. It doesn't happen too often. But once every now and then, I don't think about quitting, but I was just kind of like, oh, wouldn't it be easier to have an easier job? <laughs> be nicer to have an easier job. As a friend in Christ, I would urge you to resist that temptation. This is Jack Miller. He wrote this to another pastor. Frequently take time to look over the church, your ministry, your family, and give God thanks for each good thing you see. So not only endure in the ministry, but blossom with thankfulness and praise. That's not just good advice for pastors. That's good advice for everybody. When you go through life, you know what you're going to find out? That people don't want to change. You're going to find out that you stink. At the place where you have to be the best for the people that you love the most, you're the worst. And you know what? You're going to find it. You can't change it. That's what you're going to find out. You're young. You're like, how come they can't change? How come they can't be better? Oh, I don't like institutional religion. I don't like church. That's what all the young people say because they're stupid. <laughs> they're really stupid because they think, oh, I can just, if they're good, they can just do it. I'm like, no, no, they just don't get it. They don't get it. This is the human condition. They're really that bad. What makes the church good is they gather all these really people that are that bad under a God who still loves them, even though they're that bad. That's what makes church good. And then these people sing songs, and then they say thank you, and even though they woke up broken down, stinky, crappy sinner, they walk out knowing they're loved, forgiven, and they're grateful. And then they can be a little more human. It's one of the most powerful things. So, let me finish the rest of the quote. Perhaps you have heard me say this before, but I like to think of repentance and praise as allied to each other, both forms of sanity. Repentance is a return to God as my center. Praise is the lifting up of God in honor as my center. But to move out away from the center without repentance or praise is to be eccentric, irrational, and insane. But what a simple thing it is to humble the heart and return to sanity by repentance and praise. That's church. So all the people who hate church, they're 
walking, just like living inside of insanity, according to a great, great man, a very, very joyful man. This guy could take on anything, Jack Miller. And I think this is the key. The key is Thanksgiving. That's the key. Why would you be thankful? Because you don't deserve anything really good. This is the, I mean, this is a really hard truth. This is super hard. This is a really, this is the deep, this is one of the deepest truth. You deserve to go to hell. (laughs) You don't actually deserve for the sun to come up and for you to have a nice job. And you know, actually, you know why divorce happens? Because actually, you're probably so intolerable, your spouse can't stand you anymore, and it's earned. It's actually earned. And you know why? It's actually, it's just really hard to even just have good companies. Oh, we're going to have great, per- we're going to make this thing, this great product, and it's going to change people's lives, and it's going to bless them. Is that why people, your, your people at your work, is that why they show up? Of course that's not why they show up. They show up to get theirs. They show up to get promoted at your expense if necessary. And that's completely, totally normal. <laughs> completely, totally normal. And then we wonder why God isn't good to me. Should he be good to us? Why should he be good to us? But the deeper truth is, he's still good. (laughs) And we Christians, we have a name for that. We call it grace. It's an incredible thing. Now let's go to part two. I entitled part two, the covenantal life versus the ungrateful, lonely, secular life. Okay, now I want to give you two more points that I saw in this, um, this white paper. I just thought this was just... So, one, it says this. Multiple studies report associations between elements of religiosity and spirituality and dispositional gratitude. You know what they're basically saying? If you have a little bit more religion, you're more likely to be grateful. I was like, duh. As a pastor, I was like, no, duh. This is like, this is a, this is sort of the really nice secular way of saying people don't go to church. They're not grateful. That's basically what they're saying. Suggesting that there may be, there may be a link between religion and gratitude. There is. <laughs> okay. Yes, yeah, smart PhD dude. Okay, 20 years ago, everybody knew it. It was completely obvious. Today, like you need, like, it's like, it's like some PhD dude, that's like, tell you, there may be a link between religion and gratitude. Okay. One study found that people assigned to pray for their partner or pray in general for four weeks reported higher gratitude at the end of that study than people who were assigned to just think about their daily activities or to just think positive thoughts. Our prayer and our thoughts are with you. You ever hear that on TV? Our prayers and our thoughts are with you. Let me tell you, the second one doesn't matter. <laughs> Our thoughts are with you. All my thoughts are with you. You know, when my, when my atheist friend says it to me, I'm actually really, really grateful. But it has no real power. <laughs> Let me give you one more. Other studies have identified certain traits that act as barriers to gratitude. So this is the anti-gratitude cancers, Okay. These are the barriers to gratitude. They include envy, 
materialism, narcissism, and cynicism. Envy, materialism, narcissism, and cynicism. Okay. You know, I, you know, I read that? I started laughing. <laughs> I started laughing. That's kind of like sad, tragic laughter. I said, those four words describe Silicon Valley to a T. Envy, materialism, narcissism, cynicism. That's us. That's us. No, those people out there. No, come on. That's us. I wake up every day and go, I wish I could drive that car. <laughs> you know, uh, we were, always, we're all concerned about, okay, I'm going to just materialism. Which lunch you're going to pay for today? How much is my rent today? Don't kid yourself. That's materialism. <laughs> Narcissism. That's just a fancy way of saying you think about yourself all the time. Cynicism. We're such a cynical people. You walk into work and you already don't think that your boss, your boss may actually say something nice and you know what you think? He just, he just being nice because, you know, going to get me to work harder, right? What if he's actually nice? <laughs> what if your boss is actually being kind to you but you can't receive it because you're like cynical? <laughs> That's a horrible place. But what if he's actually being kind and you could receive it and you're happy and you're thankful he's kind and so you're thankful and then you're like, let me tell you what thankfulness is. Thankfulness is someone does you a kindness and it's the proper response. So when someone does you a kindness, it's a little piece of love. And you know what thankfulness is? It's love back. So if someone gives you a little piece of love and then you return that with cynicism. You know what that's saying about it? About you, about me, about us? We do not know how to love. That's what it means. Let me teach you something about um, why it's so important that if you, if you don't believe in Jesus here today, I'm, I, I'm, just kind of, I'm being kind of tough, but this is real. It's very, very real. You want to live a rich and full life? You think you're going to live a rich and full life and you don't have God in your life. Let me tell you something. Your chances of living a rich and full life are slim. Slim to none and slim is walking out the door. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Because a really big piece of it is gratitude. It's a really big piece of it. Now let me give you a quick theology lesson. There's a... It's not that too complicated, but let me break down. So, first, this is a theology. There is no God, or I'm not sure if there is a God. That's what we call the secularism. Okay, the hard version is atheism. I'm not sure if there's a God. We call that agnosticism. We live, basically, it doesn't matter if there's a God. That's called secularism. That's basically our city. Hard atheism, soft atheism, same difference. Okay? There's nobody up there. You know what it means? You're practicing the theology that you're on your own. Everybody's on their own. Nobody's there for you. So when you see them being a jerk, you can rightfully hate them. 
And when they're regularly being a jerk, because when you're young, you think, you know, well, they can all just be better. No, they, no, they can't. <laughs> when you grow older, you will become harder and more cynical because you will see more and more they can't stop being jerks. They can't stop failing you. And then you're going to find out you can't either. This is secularism. How can you be a grateful person? How can you be a grateful person? There's no way you could live a rich life. Secularism. Okay, that's one theology. Let me give you a second theology. God is holy above the system. He does not come into the system. He does not come into creation to be with us. He's just completely above it. He's like, it's like detached. We're like a software program that he's running. Okay, there is this theology. Um, one is called deism. That's like God gave us the rules and then he's just going to judge us at the end. It's pure legalism. Okay? Not too many people believe in deism today, at least not around here. But there's another version of it. It's called Islam. God is basically above the system. And he gave us rules. You do the five pillars, and maybe, maybe he'll be kind to you. I just basically gave you the theology of Islam. God is above the system, but not with us. It's not going to give us great deal of gratitude either, okay? And we have a third one. God is part of the system. <laughs> He's inside the system. So it's called New Age or polytheism. So all the different, you know, so I'm just giving you, you want to check out all the other religion and you're not sure about Christianity? I'm, I'm just laying it out for you right now, okay? So polytheism, there's a God of the ocean, you know, because he's part of the ocean system, the God of the sun or the God of the fertility, it's all part of the fertility system. It's all polytheism, they're part of the system. So that God maybe can help you in this one, maybe. <laughs> but really, they're not going to be there for you in all kinds of other ways. It's just all part of the system. But mostly you're going to find out that the system is not so great. How can that God love you? And usually, you have to pay something to get that guy to help you. It's pretty much, it's a contractual, legalistic thing still. And now I'm going to close with covenant. Here's what covenant is. So this is at the heart of the Bible. There's only two religions that believe in covenant, okay? So I just, everybody else doesn't have this. Only two religions believe in covenant. One is Judaism. And the other one's Christianity. It's only in the Bible. <laughs> Here's what covenant teaches. There's a God who's utterly above us, but he chooses to be with us. He's not trapped in the system, but he chooses to be with us. And here's what covenant means. Covenant means this. Covenant means I choose to be with you. I promise to be with you. I will unite myself to you and I can never abandon you. And together, no matter what happens, I'm promised to be committed to you, you fully in who you are, and I fully in who I am. That's covenant. See, God doesn't become less than himself because he has to be like some part of like the system, and he's not just away from himself and he doesn't care about us. These four options, these are the only options there are in theology. <laughs> These are all the options in religion. So you want to check out all the religions? Be my guest, but I'm just giving you all the options. There is no God. 
or you're not sure if there's a God, secularism. He's above, but not in. He's totally a part of the system or in covenant. Zit. So, what is covenant? Someone is there for you when you fail, when you fall down, when you are cursed, when you have the problems of the past that's not even your fault. It's like your parents' fault or your country's fault or that of your culture. Someone is there for you when misfortune befalls you because misfortune will certainly befall you. When you suffer, that person will weep with you. And when you triumph, that person will rejoice with you. That's covenant. In life, do we have covenant? There is. We call it marriage. Okay? That's, that's what real marriage is. By the way, quick little advice to all you singles. If a person says they will marry you and they don't have this belief of what marriage is, don't marry them. <laughs> because they don't understand what it's about. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Just run away. And while you're dating this person, you should test. Do you believe in covenant? So, you're on a date. So what happens if I get cancer? What if happens when I lose all my hair? What happens if I get depressed? What happens if the girl at work is prettier than me? Will you still be there? Will you still be there? Now, of course, they're going to say yes. This is covenant. Now I'm going to close my message this way. This is life, okay? If there's a God who does covenant, you have great hope for gratitude. <laughs> if there is no God who does covenant, there's not going to be much gratitude. But here's a problem with covenant. It's a two-way thing. So you guys know this in marriage. One person makes all these promises. The other person makes all these promises. One person fails the promises or both. And then 40% of the time, the marriage doesn't make it. Here's actually the statistics. 35% of the times, the marriage doesn't make it. And then of the 15% of the times, the marriage stays intact, but it's unhappy. <laughs> so that estimates are only something like 35% of the marriages are actually something like that we would call happy marriages. And it's probably even lower than that. So that's the reality. In covenant, God says, I will cove. So this is the God of the Bible. I covenant myself to you. Here's the real truth. The other side of it is us. <laughs> the other side of the covenant is us. I promise to be there for you. I promise to follow you. I promise to obey. I promise to trust you. I promise to believe in your promises. That's our side of it. What do we do with it? We fail it. We fail it. We fail it. Jews have the God of covenant. But you know what they don't have? They don't have the covenant, that relationship completed. You know what Christians have? We have that covenant completed. So the God of the covenant came into the system. He became one of us and said, I know you're going to fail it. I know you're going to fail it. 
And since you can't complete the side, your side of the relationship, I will complete it for you. And then when you fall down, I'll pick you up. And when you fail, I'll forgive you. And when you are down and you're weak, I'll cry with you. And when you triumph, I'll laugh with you. That's our God. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the verse says, give thanks to God for his steadfast love endures forever. You can only believe in this if you have a covenantal God who has completed for you. And if you wake up every day, you can live in gratitude every day. So brothers and sisters, this is the gospel. Live inside of the covenant. It's been completed for you, even when you and I break it and fail it. You know the one who did this for us. His name is Jesus. And um, you know, no matter what, this is the great thing about covenant. It's not about whether things go really well for you, because that's not what marriage is for. You know that? <laughs> We're just going to get married together and everything will be great. You know what it's for? When it goes bad. When it goes bad, that person will be there for you. I hope you married somebody like that. I hope you do marry somebody like that. But in your life, if you believe in Jesus, your soul is married to somebody like that. <laughs> and when the bottom drops out, and when you and I fail, and when you and I cry, he'll be there. He's always there. Steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray. We thank you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. And every day, may our hearts be filled with gratitude for you and then for each other and then to our neighbors, to our bosses. May we throw away our cynicism when our boss is nice to us Maybe he is just using us, or maybe he's actually kind. Would we be grateful and overcome cynicism with thanksgiving? Instead of having the cancer of envy, would we be filled with your grace because your steadfast love endures forever. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that you have completed the covenant which we could never complete. Thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name.